Welcome to Hablando de Tequila. I'm your host, Zach Jubal. Throughout this six-part series, we'll explore the history, people, culture, and future of tequila. On today's episode, I'm joined by Alex Tomlin, Senior Vice President for North American Marketing for Bacardi, as we discuss how tequila became the most popular spirit in America and why it's doing the same the world over. Alex, thank you so much for your time. Good morning, Zach. Great to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's so much to dig into here. I, I'm almost at a loss of where to start, but but let's maybe begin with this broad question that we can kind of narrow in on a few things. What is tequila's position in the American spirits market right now? It's got a fantastic position in the market, uh, Zach. I've personally been in the industry for 26 years, you know, and worked in, in many markets uh, around the world, but over 12 years in the US and you know it really is the golden age of tequila in North America it's had a complete transformation as a category from where it was just a couple of decades ago yeah and i definitely want to dig in a little bit to kind of how and why maybe it's it's undergone that transformation but let's talk real quick about for for listeners who maybe don't you know study <laughs> the data the way that you or i might yeah, right. what kind of what are we talking about maybe not in terms of i mean maybe in terms of dollar figures or maybe just in terms of of sort of relative position like where where does tequila rank in terms of our our most purchased and consumed spirits here in the united states oh, it's one of the top performing categories um i think volumes have grown by almost 200% since the early 2000s i've I believe tequila is now the the number two spirits category worldwide. And I definitely want to come back to this conversation about kind of the the more global perception and image of tequila, because I think that's a fascinating part of this story. But let's let's rewind. So you mentioned, you know, something on the order of 200 percent growth since the early 2000s. And I think I want to I want to start by sort of saying there are a lot of possible explanations for that, and we'll get into some of them. But but from your position where you sit as a longtime industry insider, what are some of the most important factors that have driven that growth in the category? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, over the past 20 years that I've been working in in the industry, as I said, the, the category has really transformed. And I think there's a few reasons for that. The first would be just its versatility and the number of occasions that tequila is enjoyed upon now. I mean, it's had a complete makeover in reputation. So it's evolved from a category that 20 years ago was all about spring break and wild parties and slammers to, you know, this category that can be consumed in craft cocktails on those occasions and these high-end bottle service occasions in a night spot or, you know, even a refreshing Paloma um, as a refreshing drink with your tacos in a in a Mexican restaurant in any town in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, the versatility and the growth of that has been, you know, enormous. I think the other piece is, you know, the premiumization of, of the category, which is really evident by the huge growth of, you know, super and ultra premium um, tequilas. And it's easy to, to look at the category now, Zach, and look at all these numbers and then forget how, how that was pioneered. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the, the founders of, of Patron, you know, it's so first sold, you know, like hand sold bar to bar in the US at the time when, you know, golden colored mixto tequila was kind of like reigning supreme. You know, you can imagine that salespeople had to convince skeptical 
bar owners and distributors that it was worth paying more for a completely different style of tequila, a 100% agave tequila Mm -hmm. made the traditional way because of the the quality of the liquid. So I think, you know, there were more than a few naysayers back then, but history really speaks for itself. And now when you look at the category and those growth numbers, underneath that growth is just this burgeoning super and ultra premium category, which is almost completely 100% agave. And to be honest, Patron, you know, was a trailblazer and almost wrote the playbook for that whole category evolution. I think the third, the third big thing that I would say is just the, you know, consumers these days are really looking for transparent products and really trying to understand what they're putting in their bodies or what they're putting in their, their cocktails. And so there's an increasing interest in how products are made and, Patron as a trailblazer of this kind of super premium segment has always been made the same way. I mean, there's no compromises, no cutting corners, and it's just made with really three simple ingredients, which are water, agave, and yeast. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, real simplicity in that, and I think that's what consumers are looking for today. That absolutely seems to be the case from where I sit. I want to dive into this this conversation a little bit about production. We, we've already covered this in in previous episodes, but I think there's a fascinating look at it from maybe almost from the the larger lens that you can offer. But before we get there, I just want to ask a, a little follow up. When we talk about growth in the category, and you know, you mentioned um, you know the growth in the ultra and super premium expressions, are we seeing kind of roughly equivalent growth in all kind of tequila categories, you know, whether it's eight different age expressions or or different price points, or is the growth more concentrated in in certain specific segments of the broader tequila industry? Yeah, I think um, what we're seeing across all spirits categories is premiumization or consumers mm-hmm. trading up. Um, and that's more accelerated in tequila as a very popular high growth category. So yeah, no, we're seeing acceleration across price points. Obviously, with Patron, we've got, um, you know, a number of different expressions, all of which are growing faster than we have seen in, you know, recent memory. So, you know, that cuts across the, our silver expression, our Reposado and our, our higher marks. And then, you know, I guess now is as good a time as any to get into this this question that I have, which is, you know, you mentioned Obviously, we've learned a lot in, in the process of these conversations about the methodology behind making Patron tequila and how, you know, how closely it sort of hues to the traditional methods and, and how, as you sort of mentioned, how uncompromising it is. Yeah. But there's there's undoubtedly some challenge in both adhering to those very noble principles and dealing with a, a burgeoning category and, and yeah. you know, meeting demand without compromising production quality and, and you know you can go into as much or as little detail as you care to but but is there tension within you know within the broader company because i would imagine that there are some people who would love to have two three four times as much tequila to sell or you know whatever the number is that's greater than current volume but obviously to maintain that standard that's not really an option at least not swiftly yeah no i think i think it's a it's it's a great question and Undoubtedly, with the explosive growth in the category, it's put a lot of tension through our supply chain. But, you know, at the, at the heart of it is an unwavering, you know, dedication to, to quality and to not cut corners. I mean, the, you know, some of the decisions that we have had to make are, are difficult. And, you know, if you looked at it from a financial perspective, you'd probably say, 
That's, you know, a, a little bit unusual. For example, as we've expanded Patron's production to cope with increasing demand, you know, we have made the decision to almost make a carbon copy of the original distillery times eight. Wow. So we're making the tequila exactly the same way. So we're not looking at consolidation or any industrial processes. There's this dedication to this tequila being envisaged a certain way, having a real simplicity and traditional method into the creation and replicating that. So just as an example, Patron um, is made in, you know, the agave is roasted, slow roasted in brick ovens. We have 542, believe it or not, small wooden fermenters. We have 140 small copper pot stills. And before the agave even goes into the oven, we crush the agave with a very traditional method, which is the volcanic Tahona mill. And we have, believe it or not, 14 of those mills. So there's this, you know, real dedication to actually putting cost into the process. But we know that it takes time and we know that the tequila needs to be made the right way and we don't take any shortcuts. So, yeah, that does put tension into into the business. You know, we're currently selling everything that we make, but we know that our product is everything. And it's really important that we we honor that tradition and the, the original vision of the brand. Yeah, that's that that's been very evident to me in these conversations is 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 how seemingly throughout the company, throughout the production process, that idea of remaining true to the initial vision is is very uh potent and that's a yeah. that's a very cool thing mm-hmm. um, because you know as someone rather far removed from Jalisco you want to trust these things but at the same time you know it's 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 hard as a just as an individual consumer sometimes to know um that that really remains central to the to the production and to the brand's identity i want to go back a, a minute in our conversation to talk a little bit about the way that maybe tequila more generally and and patron in particular different expressions have you know reached the the sort of craft cocktail industry and become such a a critical component to it and and let's start with this question um as best you can answer it alex was the resistance to tequila in in craft cocktails maybe in the earliest days was it just about the lack of quality in the category or was there anything else going on there yeah, I think um, look, it's a great question. I'll do my best to to answer. Sure. It. Yeah, you can't possibly know what was going on in the mind of every suspender wearing bartender in two thousand and three. But exactly. I mean, you know, the, the the craft spirit renaissance seems to have been going on for a long time now, and you know, as long as I can remember, actually, you know, tequila has really been the the darling of craft bartenders and consumers. Look to to kind of. Um, be a little bit more sophisticated in their choices and branch out a little bit more. Obviously, tequila as a category, you know, is rich with storytelling, has a real complexity and a breadth across the the blanco silver expressions all the way through to the reposados and the añejos that can be real nice complements to sophisticated cocktails on the menu made with agave spirits or just used to switch out old favorites like whiskey, for example, in an old fashioned. Um, mm-hmm. So. Obviously, there's been this this huge experimentation. It's a category that bartenders love. I guess before that, yeah, maybe maybe it wasn't taken as seriously. Maybe it was written off as a category that was just for kind of entry level drinkers for for shots and slammers. But definitely something changed there. You know, probably in the last fifteen years. And I'm wondering too. You know, just from a marketing perspective, as you see the sort of 
you know the the consumers and 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 bartenders and what and whatnot sort of changing their relationship to tequila and and looking at it not as you mentioned as as I first encountered it as a as a college student as this sort of thing you do shots of or yeah. um, you know something that is very fun but maybe not very serious into a category with a lot of nuance and complexity and different expressions and all that. Again, from a sort of marketing lens, you know, how much have you have you had to sort of, or, or broadly has has um, Patron or Bacardi had to change up kind of the marketing approach? You know, uh, you know, there's a big difference between having your bottle. I mean, I don't know if this was something Patron particularly ever did, but you know, certainly other tequila companies. You know, it's do you even want your bottles appearing on at spring break or stuff like that, or are you looking to sort of position them differently? I don't know. There was a little bit of a muddled question. I apologize, but hopefully you kind of understand. Yeah. What I'm well, well, I think as a, I, you know, my my perspective on this is that. You know, as a really big category now, tequila just straddles a whole variety of occasions from, you know, the shots occasion, which is still very important, all the way through to these kind of, you know, upper end, maybe lower energy type of occasions that I was talking about earlier on. And there are different styles that suit those occasions. I think definitely over the last 10, 15 years within tequila in particular, we've seen an acceleration of the the browner colored Varietals, so the Reposado and the Añejo, and typically the barrel aged versions, right? Um, because that's where consumers are going and where cocktails are going. So clearly, within our marketing programs and activity, we're really focused on not only growing our silver tequila base, but also accelerating um, at a terrific level um, the growth of our Reposado and Añejo tequilas. And we've got, you know, just to, to give you an example, almost 11,000 barrels. Um, aging in, in our warehouse um, facilities in Jalisco um, with different oak, um, you know, so whether it be, you know, French oak or American oak or other types of oak, all of which we can use to create really unique and differentiated blends as a category develops. And as consumers um, thirst and, you know, want for these aged, aged expression develops over the next few years. Yeah, that that's a really interesting point and kind of nicely leads me into another uh, a part of this that I wanted to discuss, which is when you look at people who are enjoying these more um, aged or ultra premium expressions of tequila or a Patron specifically, is it uh, predominantly people who are already very much committed to tequila as a category and are just exploring, you know, these more aged expressions? Or are you finding more that it's people crossing over from whiskey in particular? I'll probably answer in terms of like, you know, all of the above. Um, sure. You know, the, you know, categories grow by bringing in more and more people. So we're definitely recruiting loads of new people into the category. And that, you know, is coming through those kind of like silver tequila occasions and drinks like a Paloma or, you know, the mar- margarita, which has been, what, the number one cocktail mm-hmm. in America for forever, it seems, you know, for the last 10, 15 years at least. But also... Yeah, consumers getting more experimental and switching over from other categories. So, for example, you could be in a bar in Manhattan, let's say, and your regular drink may be a, a whiskey old-fashioned, and then you pick up the menu and you may see, oh, this is kind of interesting. What's a Oaxacan old-fashioned, which is essentially a riff on the classic whiskey old-fashioned, so Reposado tequila, you know, that has that, you know, it's lightly aged in, in oak to mimic some of those notes that are found in whiskey, a bit drop of um, mezcal, um, bitters and agave nectar. You know, just a riff on one of your um, regular everyday drinks with a little bit more interest with different flavor notes and different attributes. This is happening across cocktails. So you've got 
consumers from other categories switching up a little bit. And then you've got consumers coming in at the very top end of the category for the first time um, Mm -hmm. in different drinking occasions. So as I said, it's a little bit of everything. Um, And, you know, this is sometimes how big categories grow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it it's, occurs to me now in thinking about what, what you all are doing with some of these, you know, many, many barrels that are aging in Jalisco, a challenge that I've heard in speaking to bourbon and scotch and other whiskey producers at times of, you know, really trying to look into the future in a way that might not be true with silver tequila or even a reposado or, or potentially even an añejo. But when you're looking at barrel aging, any spirit for three, five, 10, however many years, you really have to kind of be anticipating where the market might move, what people want flavor profile wise, age statement wise. Is that a big subject of conversation kind of in this planning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with as with any age spirit category, long-term supply planning and forecasting is, is, is critical. Um, at Patron, it really is about making sure we do everything the right way. Clearly the, you know, the huge, um, upswing in demand puts a lot of pressure on the supply chain. You know, we, you know, have always kind of like worked to, to make sure that, you know, we're putting liquids into our bottles that have been made the right way, that are aged the right way. We don't take any shortcuts. Um, you know, I can't speak for everybody on the market, but there are, there are different ways of kind of like accelerating that process, potentially taking shortcuts in order to, to meet, you know, huge fluctuations in demand, but that's just something that we wouldn't do. Okay, now let's address, I don't know, maybe the 800-pound elephant in the room, or at least an elephant in the room, and that's one other thing that we've seen in the category of late, which is this explosion in celebrity tequilas, and, oh, yeah. and that it's happened specifically in tequila. And so, mm-hmm. again, you know, like like uh, I'm sure is the case, you can't know what's going on inside all of these brands and inside all these famous people's brands, mm-hmm. but in your eyes, Alex, kind of why is this category in particular one where you've, we've seen so much of these kind of celebrity brands more than maybe in any other spirits category? Yeah, I just think it's got a huge appeal, right? I mean, as I said, there's a breadth of occasionality. If you're in any, any Hollywood party or Manhattan party, tequila is one of the key drinks being served. So it's part of the repertoire. Um, I think from you know a, a crude business perspective, people gravitate towards growth and where money is being made. So there's a sweet intersection between, you know, category that I love as part of my repertoire, the romance around how tequila's made, the whole Mexican heritage story, and then the ability to make money. But I think, you know, the critical thing for us at, at Patrona is, you know, like we, we welcome competition. We rate the playbook for, for this category and are always doing things the right way. As I said, the, you know, the original founders really tried very hard and went to painstaking lengths to make sure that our product has always been made the right way and on a traditional process. And, you know, we talked earlier about some of those aspects of, of, of that process and some of the equipment and tools and the ovens that we have in order to guarantee that quality time and time again. I think where it's progressing to is more kind of um, made-to-order type of brands where, Mm. I don't know, Zach, you may open your Instagram feed to Mm. any given celebrity and then all of a sudden they're standing there in LA or New York and they've got a table full of flutes of um, different colors and expressions of tequila and there's some comments around how they're tasting and choosing. Essentially, these are these are liquids that are designed by a client. They're not designed by the the craftsman, and they're all they're often purchased from 
distilleries making many different brands. And mm-hmm. while I think it's really important for us to say that at Patron, we only make Patron at Patron, which means that we have complete control and visibility and transparency ourselves over the end-to-end production process. And, you know, quality is paramount in terms of what we do. You know, we only use all natural ingredients because it's important that we don't cut any corners. But if I were a, you know, an entrepreneur starting a brand and I'm, I'm really wanting to get out into market really quickly, it's possible there may be a temptation to cut corners. And, you know, these days you can actually apply a variety of techniques to deliver a different taste profile to your tequila. I mean, legally, there are, there are additives that you can put into tequila to change the, the color, the appearance, the mouthfeel. Um, but this isn't always shared with, with consumers. But, you know, you can often tell if something's been added to the tequila by, you know, when you uncork a tequila or take, take the cap off and you smell that kind of vanilla bum on the nose. Mm-hmm. It's often a sign that vanilla extract has, extract has been added to the tequila. Um, and, you know, at Patron, we don't, we don't add anything. It's 100% natural. It's funny, if, if it's all right with you, Alex, this actually prompted a question that I hadn't uh, considered before we started talking, which is, you know, another thing that we've seen in the tequila category, and, and maybe some of it is is more on the insidious line that you were describing, I think some of it is maybe a little bit more well-intentioned, is is the rise of, of flavored tequilas within the sort of flavored yeah. spirits mm-hmm. category. As far as I'm aware, that's not something that Patron does at the moment. Is that just would cut too much against the sort of established brand identity, or is that something that might be on the table in the future? Yeah, look, we, I mean, we're always open to, to kind of pushing the boundaries of the category, experimenting, moving the craft onwards. Um, the, the, the real truth of the matter is that we need to um, use all of our agave to deliver our core expressions of mm-hmm. tequila, such as the demand in the market right now. So, you know, we're racing to, to, to ensure that our consumers who are after our main line of products are, are satisfied. Once our, our demand, you know, um, and, and supply even out, of course, there'll be, you know, opportunities to explore the category as it will develop. It's a big category now, and I'm sure it will develop in many different ways in the future. Okay, just a couple more final questions for you, Alex, as we kind of wrap things up. The first one is, you know, when we talk again about about marketing um, Patron and, and just sort of its brand presence, I'll just I'll say this. When I was first getting into drinking and, and getting into drinking tequila, you know, Patron was even at that time, you know, I think it's fair to say one of the, you know, the gold standards within the yeah. tequila industry. Mm-hmm. And I think it certainly maintains that position. That said, there there could be a challenge of of maybe people being like, I don't know, this isn't new. Yeah. And and you know, spirits I think in particular as a category, both fetishizes history and, and that's a cool thing. And also sometimes is like obsessed with the shiny new objects, whatever that might be. So how do you kind of maintain awareness of, of the brand and, and keep it, you know, front of mind for people without sort of, you know, maybe without relying on tricks? You know, as, as I said, we, we're, we're growing faster than we have ever grown before, um, which is fantastic from a brand position, which means uh, our biggest challenge is keeping up with the, with the demand, we just spoke about that. But mm-hmm. it's true that in the early years, a lot of um, Patron's success was driven by its differentiation, its appeal, this, you know, this this luxury product that transformed a category and, and was known for its marketing. And um, in some respects, it made this meticulous craft story that we've been talking about one of the, the 
bass cap secrets. You know, there's not a lot of people who would actually know the story that, um, that, that, that we've been discussing. And that's a story that's never been told before. But, but now consumers have changed. They're more involved with the category. Bartenders are hugely involved with the category. And people are now really interested in the story behind the Patron, the people, the, the fact that 60 hands make every bottle, um, the story behind the brand and, and just the, the kind of legacy and heritage of this incredible spirit. So that's the story we're beginning to tell. Yeah, that notion of, of grounding the product where where it's from and, and you know, with the people um, who make it is, yeah, another thing that we have certainly seen of late in, in beverage alcohol more broadly of, of being of real importance to a lot of consumers. Alex, thank you so much. It's been really fascinating. I think, you know, it's it's so cool to hear about how, you know, I think that this, the central piece of what I've always been interested in is is how amidst this like vastly growing and rapidly growing category, this commitment to to traditional methods and quality remains because again i I think it's it's very i appreciate that in some ways it's easy to say like well you know we just wouldn't compromise on that but but (laughs) it's not easy in some days in some cases certainly we have seen other examples in other categories where where you know in one way or another quality has to suffer to meet demand so so it's been really a pleasure to hear that from from your perspective and 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 just kind of get more insight into the growth of the category so again thank you so much it was really a fascinating conversation. I appreciate the time. Good talking to you. This podcast series is in partnership with Patron Tequila, the world's number one super premium tequila that is passionately handcrafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico. To learn more about Patron, visit PatronTequila.com.